Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello again, and welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Jen Denton, and along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we're discovering what the scripture teaches regarding doctrine and theology. You know, things that a lot of Christians think are too difficult to tackle, too hard to understand, and too out of reach. But we're attempting to do this in a way that is applicable to the lives we live. We do this because we agree with what C.S. Lewis once said, a man can't be always defending the truth. There must be a time to feed on it. And that's what we hope happens within you and us as we meet together on this podcast, that the word will feed us because we want to help you be strong in your faith, knowledgeable in and of the word and growing in your love for Jesus. Hi again, Kitchen Table Theologians. You know, Jen, before we jump into today's topic, I was thinking that perhaps we should cover something that I think is pretty important as it regards the church. And I'd really hate to leave our study of ecclesiology without mentioning this aspect of it, and we haven't touched on it yet, and it's the principle that the church is both local and universal. We haven't mentioned that, and I think we should. Well, then by all means. (laughs) The word church in the New Testament is applied to everything from a group of believers of any size, ranging from a very small group meeting at a house, all the way to all true believers extending to every corner of the world. Huh? <laughs> That's what you have to say about that? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Explain uh, that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. In Romans 16 and 1 Corinthians 16, a house church is called a church. It says, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Hmm. In 1 Thessalonians, the church spread throughout an entire city, And that's called a church. Paul writes to the church of the Thessalonians. The church covered an entire geographic region, and that was also called a church. Acts 9.31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up. So there's this entire geographical region referred to as a church. And finally, the church throughout the entire world is referred to as a church. Paul says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then to the Corinthians writes, God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So I think behind those verses, when especially that second one there, the mention of the apostles who were not given to any specific individual church, that certifies sort of that the reference is to the universal church. And And so I think we can conclude that the group of God's people may rightly be called the church from a small group of folks meeting in a home to a stadium filled by thousands to every true believer, even in the remotest regions of the globe. The church is both local and universal. And so, again, it's this concept of the church without walls. And and I get that. Mm -hmm. I guess as we're just popping terms on things, though, I've you know, heard and seen people do this. We gather and we do this in our church. We gather in a small group together in our home, but we might, you know, some people might call that a church or we're having church. Is Mm -hmm. that church? Well, if that small group meeting at home are true believers, they are certainly part of the church, both locally and universally. Does their particular gathering constitute them as a church? 
I think that's a good question. Maybe we should take a second and examine what ingredients are necessary for what the New Testament says a church is. Jonathan Lehman holds a master's degree from Southern Seminary and a PhD in ecclesiology from the University of Wales, and he defines church like this. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. Now, Jonathan readily admits that this definition reads a little bit clunky, so let's break down. He's got five main points there. Let's break them down real quick. So first of all, a group of Christians. So to your question, is this a church? So far, we would say yes, it's a group of Christians. A regular gathering. If they're doing that, then yeah, that's a church. Then he talked about a congregation-wide exercise of affirmation and oversight. Now, I think in this aspect, for a church to be a church, there have to be elders. There has to be a pastor-shepherd. There has to be the exercise or the plan for the exercise of church discipline. There has to be regular observance of communion and baptism. And I find a lot of home churches break down here when it comes to elders or deacons and deaconesses and discipline, and even having a pastor. They'll A lot of times it's shared. The leadership is shared. So there's nobody set as the pastor. There's no elders. And Paul told Timothy, you know, I appointed elders for you. That's a part of it. So if they're not doing that, those things, then I don't think you can call them a church. He also said that they meet for the purpose of officially representing Christ and his rule on earth. So if they're doing that, they're gathering in his name to propagate the gospel, then yes, they're a church. He talked about the use of preaching and the ordinances, so that's communion and baptism for these purposes. Then then yes, they are church. Mm-hmm. I think that's really good, and and I don't think that I've ever heard it quite defined like that. And I think that we just assume... Well, it's a group of people that meet together and things just happen, you know, but there's a definite ingredient, right, should we say, to have this bona fide church. So let's have this lead us now into what we're supposed to be addressing today, (laughs) and that is that the church is the house of God. Where do we begin with that? I really kind of forgot that was the topic today. It is the house of God. It is. So the church is the house of God. So how about you, Jen, reminding us of the metaphors we've already looked at, just as a refresher, and while you're doing that, I'll try to think of something to say about the church being the house of God. Okay, I'll talk very slowly slowly. to give you enough time. (laughs) Well, today, Kitchen Table Theologians, this is our sixth and final episode in our current series on ecclesiology, which we have learned is the doctrine of the church. In episodes 61, 62, 63, 64, and 65, we discussed how the church is like a flock, like a fellowship, a body, a bride, and a family. And today, we'll look at how the church is like a building or a house. So let's examine how the church is the house of God. So Jen, you own a home, and have you and Fred, have you all ever built a home? We have built three homes here in the low country. We've lived in four homes, and we've built three of them. You have built three homes? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're still... We're not handy people, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> you get other people we, to build We, we get other people to build it, but we also you need something... You picked out the model. Is that what you mean? Well, we need something that's relatively new, <laughs> that has a warranty. 
<laughs> because we are crafty people. We are not handy people. Well, that's smart. <laughs> Although, I do love the character of an old home. I would just yeah. need, I but would need some money on the side yeah. for somebody to come fix it up for me. I worked for a few years as a carpenter and built houses, and we built buildings. So we all know that the first thing you better get right, no matter what you're building, is what? Your budget. <laughs> Says that, Dave that, Ramsey, that, your budget. <laughs> well, I was going for the foundation. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. That's but kind you, of important. You, you got to have the budget <laughs> to pay for the foundation. Yes. So we'll, we'll give half credit to each. So it's the foundation. First and foremost, you better have that right. And then after the foundation's right, there's this progressive building process of what is being built on the foundation. So the church is called God's house because it is also, in a sense, God's habitation because he resides in his people. The composition of the house, the material, is what the Bible calls it's built out of living stones. The living stones are used in the construction of God's house. Okay, let's look at that living stones a little bit. What do we know about the foundation itself? Does the Bible speak much to this? Yeah, actually it does. There are two Greek words which translate into our English word foundation. One of the words refers to the act of laying the foundation, okay? We're, all we have is dirt, and we start to lay the foundation. That's one of those Greek words. The other Greek word refers to the foundation itself. So using one of those Greek words, 1 Corinthians 3.11 states that Christ is the foundation. So Jen, please read that for us. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians 2.20, please. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, both passages use the word for the foundation itself. Thamelios, that's not the laying of a foundation. Both of those verses refer to a foundation that's already been laid. So Christ was and is the original foundation, and then the apostles and prophets were sovereignly added by God, since it was through them that the church received its instructions until the Word, the Bible, was completed. Now, everything the church did was based upon the teachings of Christ and the apostles as they were taught by Christ. One passage considers the cornerstone, while others view the entire foundation. We read in scriptures that Christ is the chief cornerstone, and that's kind of the keystone. That's the thing the builders first lay. So when you lay a cornerstone, you've got to make sure that's right, it's square, it's true, because from the cornerstone— all the other measurements and truing are referenced. The cornerstone sets the standard for the whole building. So let's be sure we understand this. The cornerstone is Christ, and the foundation is the teachings of Christ and the doctrines of the New Testament, which we have also learned through the apostles and prophets. So everything we know from Scripture is built on this foundation. Right, exactly. And then Scripture admonishes us to build very carefully on this foundation, Christ, for every work will be tried. The worthless shall be consumed as by fire, Paul taught us that, and only those works which conform to the truth shall remain. So this is not a picture of a foundation upon which some universal believe-all-and-accept-all church is going to be built. It's a steady, sure foundation rooted 
in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I like what you just said. This is not a picture of the foundation of a believe all, accept all, because it's built on Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's the foundation. And from what I know about house construction, having done it a couple of times, the building now starts to, this is the best part, rise above, well, you say the best part, it's the part you see, yeah. <laughs> rise above the ground and be built on what you hope is a strong foundation. Yes, let's look elsewhere for a little bit more clarity. Paul uses the analogy of a building in Ephesians 2. So how about telling us what verses 21 and 22 say? Sure. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in who you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Well, this shows that Paul envisioned these separate churches to be complete buildings in themselves, fitly framed together, being fitted together not some solitary, immense, mystical building. Not to be overlooked is the fact that this building is a one of many habitation, a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. Well, let's go back to something you said a few moments ago when you talked about living stones. You said the house Mm -hmm. and the building are being constructed of living stones. What is that all about? Well, the church is spoken of in two unique ways. First, it's a housing both of God and of the saints the saints being his people, Christians, who also, by the way, are named as priests of God. Second is the element of the construction of the building itself made of living stones. And Peter addresses this in 1 Peter 2. So how about reading that, 1 Peter 2, 5 through 7, and then we'll break that down real quick. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this becomes the very cornerstone." So Christians are called living stones. The word stone is from the Greek word lithos, and it is commonly used for a rock which has been worked or that some workmanship has been done to it. The idea is that a stone has been fashioned into something unique, something useful for some purpose. Hence, it has a value attached to it by the merit of the work and the effort put into it. You know, rare stones become precious jewels because the craftsmen have turned them into those precious jewels. And that's an idea of what Christ does with each one of us. Hmm. And then here again, we see Jesus referred to as the chief cornerstone. Right. Yeah. And as I mentioned a moment ago, all measurements for the whole building are made from that point of reference. If the cornerstone and the foundation are off, the whole structure will be off. Everything constructed is trued to this cornerstone. The walls are made straight and level to that. Without that stone, the construction is going to be weak. It's going to be flawed. It will even be dangerous. Mm. All the stones used in the building process are shaped to fitly form together in their place of the building. So that calls for some exactness and presents uniqueness with a lot of unity going on. But let's not miss this. Any stonemason will tell you each stone being fitted into a wall has to undergo some fitting. So the mason will grab the stone, he'll put it in its spot, he'll see, oh, it's too long on this end, it's a little thick here. So he'll take it back down and he'll chip away with a hammer until the stone fits in with the rest of the stones. 
And so back to what the Scriptures say about Christians, these living stones are God's people who have or are undergoing God's chipping away. Sometimes it's discipline, sometimes it's just God fashioning us more and more into the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. And here again we see the beauty, although painful at times, of that refinement process with the larger picture. That's a good word, refinement. That's a very good word. With that larger picture in mind. So how about bringing all this together and summarizing this for us? Yeah, I said on an earlier podcast, I don't remember which one, it wasn't that long ago, within the kingdom of God is the church of God. So today, his church within his kingdom is the body of authority. Only she may baptize, administer the Lord's Supper, and offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ. Only to her was given the Great Commission. And I'm using the feminine form here because, as we've already learned, the church is the bride of Christ. And by the virtue of her being the pillar of the truth, she's able to make disciples and to teach the redeemed to observe all things Christ has commanded. Within her are the disciples. Within her are the overcomers. That's what I think John talks about that in 1 John. To her has been given the task of the propagation of the gospel message. You know, salvation, unless it's publicly declared, will never be known to those who are lost, and that task has been given to the church. So the church isn't just some happenstance gathering of redeemed people who come together on their own. The building The house of God is orderly, sophisticated, purposeful, divinely designed by the grand architect, God himself, and all of that united by one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You know, where we sit to film this podcast, we're not too far away from our church's own cornerstone, and it's, yeah, right there. And now to think about that concept of, you know, we often talk about the church as more than just a building as a body, but we think about that living stone nature and all of us with all of our chips and <laughs> and things that we don't think are perfect, he makes perfect in his own time for that purpose. Yep, and fits us together in a beautiful, unified body of Christ, mm-hmm. house of God. Mm-hmm. The house of God. Well, hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, please recommend Kitchen Table Theology to your friends and family, and do share us on social media. Also, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating or a comment. This really helps us to get the word out about kitchen table theology. Please also check out today's episode notes for further information. And don't forget to head over to jeffcranston.com where you may freely access the podcast archives and other resources to help your faith journey, like Pastor Jeff's sermons, books, and his blog. And pay attention later this week to your podcast feed as Pastor Jeff is going to drop a brief bonus podcast on a topic that we think will be of interest to you. We hope so. I hope so. <laughs> you got some time to think on it, to, to oh, already, ruminate uh, on I, it a I little bit? It. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm ready. Oh, he's ready. Yeah, I'm ready for it. Oh, now that should, that should get you really <laughs> excited. And he will also announce the topic of our next Kitchen Table podcast series. As we leave today, we want you to stay encouraged and to know and always remember that the real power of theology is not just in knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. 
And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.